Up next, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Check Radio. People are struggling to have conversations and connect with others that they don't completely agree with on every topic. And I think that's probably the biggest problem that we need to try and solve is how after all this division and after all the separation, do we end up bringing people together again? And what does unity really look like? New Zealand faces some pretty big issues. First one is COVID in the aftermath. There's no getting away from that. Second is racial division. It's being ginned up and it's dangerous. Another issue that maybe people haven't got their head around yet is digital currency. What form does that take? Is it programmable? Will it be used to manipulate behavior and patterns of behavior? Those questions need to be asked and answered. How can you have fair, open, democratic government by people who are appointed? It's a ridiculous idea. And if that idea is taken to its zenith, then this country is in real trouble because democracy, one person, one vote, where every vote is of equal value, has got to be the foundation of a modern New Zealand. What's true, what's not true, how our kids are to be educated. And, you know, I have a great fear for the future. I think we know from history where this could end up. on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Thank you for tuning in. It's so wonderful to be here and it's so wonderful that you have tuned in for company and for the debate and the discussion. I hope we've got a great show for you. We've certainly got, we cover the field with our two interviews today. We've got uh, the wonderful Wally Richards, uh, our gardening man. My goodness. He has become such a favourite with listeners, and he's certainly a a favourite of mine, um, except he's leaving me exhausted because he's got me gardening, and I've never gardened in my life, and I am so loving it. And Wally's made it easy, but I tend to do things on rather a grand scale, so I'm assembling a big tunnel house. um, I'm making compost on almost an industrial scale. So I'm shoveling and forking and raking and pushing and driving my trailer, getting picking up horse manure and straw um, and planting. So I did a bit of planting and caring for seedlings. And I find it so remarkably wholesome and wonderful. And I had described it as cathartic, but as someone pointed out, it's therapeutic. And that's it. I just threw a few seeds some weeks ago before I had Wally on and grew lettuces. And I've loved watching them grow. And I've loved harvesting them. And I've loved sitting down with my family having these lettuces and tomatoes that I watch grow. And it's real. You know how so much of life isn't real. There's something very real and very ancient about gardening. And so I have appreciated Wally. We're going to keep him as a regular. And so if you have questions uh, of Wally, let us know and I'll pass them on to him. We'll pick them up in the next uh, fortnight. So shoot questions for Wally on 2057. Uh, And we also have another favorite with listeners. We have uh, Bob McCroskey from Family First. 
uh, and we discuss what the Pink Shirt Day really is and how we are all anti-bullying and how we all want to be inclusive. And yet Pink Shirt Day, what stands for that, is anything but, which is quite disturbing. And we discuss what's happening in the schools with Pink Shirt Day and where the money goes, which is a remarkable lack of transparency going on here and how tough it is in the workplace or with your kids to stand up and say, what is going on here? Why, 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 what are we signaling when we put on this pink shirt? Are we really signaling that we're against bullying or is there something else going on? We cover that with Bob McCroskey. You're going to enjoy the show. Uh, it's uh, really check radio. Real talk with Rodney Hyde. Text us, please. 2057. Thank you for listening. What I want to achieve with RCR is conversation. And I think we have lost the art of conversation. With RCR, I just hope that people can learn that we can all be different, we can have our own opinions, have our own views, and have those conversations in a respectful way, because respect needs to be given, it needs to be earned, and I think that we can prove that people of all diverse perspectives, ages, opinions, can have a platform, and we can work and talk together, and so that's what I hope we get to achieve with RCR. Just independent thought, alternative thought, and I I expect that I will be castigated by many people for offering different opinions but you know as I've said before there is no such thing as a wrong opinion opinions are like noses everybody's got one the exchange of views fair debate no cancelling no interrupting no aggressive responses we want to hear what people have to say whatever side you're on and the listener the consumer with that information, can make of it what they will. That is the mission. It's a good mission. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Send us a text. 2057 is the number to send it to or email us. Inbox at realitycheck.radio. Oh, we've got a favourite of our show on again, and it's uh, Family First, Bob McCroskey. We're going to be talking about what's happening in our schools, and in particular, my little bugbear, and it shouldn't be, uh, Pink Shirt Day, which is coming up, what is it, Bob? Friday week. Yeah, hi Rodney, good to be on the show again. Um, yeah, I think it's in two weeks. I mean, to be honest, I try not to tell anybody the exact day so that uh, they forget to wear pink. Um, <laughs> but it's been very interesting because it's um, it's they've shot themselves in the foot a little bit because it's a, a day that they 
say is dedicated to um, non-bullying, anti-bullying, but the role model that they've used uh, is none other than activist Chanel Lal, who uh, led the bullying, the bullying veto of Posey Parker out of Albert Park. And uh, it just is not a good look. It's tone deaf by the Mental Health Foundation. And in fact, a lot of people who probably you and I wouldn't normally agree with uh, and who would be the first to don their pink shirt, they're uh, very upset by this um, because, you know, that that whole protest was an ugly chapter uh, and a stain on on the reputation of New Zealand as being so-called inclusive and diverse. Well, certainly on social media, uh, it's gone nuts uh, because of Chanel Lal. And as you say, um, it was so ugly. And to have men bullying women and to have our politicians and the legacy media spurring it on, it was absolutely horrific. And then the sort of surprise, well, they didn't even express surprise. Mm. Um, The actual violence and seeing in a video a young thug punching an elderly woman in the head with a closed fist. Yeah. I I could not believe that, Bob. No. And then, as you say, Chanel Lal, do you know anything of this character? Uh, He was a youth MP uh, a couple of about four or five years ago. I think he's Fijian origin, uh, and he, I mean, his preferred pronouns are they and them, I think, but um, he is a he, so uh, we'll stick to biological fact. And he um, then has, uh, he was an activist in the conversion therapy ban. Oh, that's right. Yes, yeah. I do recall him then. And that's yes. where, you know, and everybody sort of says, you know, he's the reason that uh, the ban was passed. No, it wasn't. It was because of uh, lily-livered MPs who uh, failed to respect the fact that some people wanted to determine their own life, want counselling the way they want it, uh, and parents don't want to treat their sons as girls or their daughters as sons and don't want kids being brainwashed with um, uh, gender theory. Um, and unfortunately, our politicians, uh, you know, completely missed the boat and in effect have criminalised caring parents and counsellors and prayer and uh, the right of people to self-determine what they do with their lives. So, uh, that's that's where he's become famous. But then, of course, he runs around calling anybody who opposes gender ideology as either uh, far right wing Christian fundamentalists like um, you and me, even yeah. if not, and um, and turfs, which of course is trans exclusionary radical feminists, which is basically a feminist who believes that a woman is a woman and a man is not a woman. So I think that makes you and me a turf as well. Yes, <laughs> but I'm a radical. I'm a radical lesbian feminist by his definition. I don't know. Sometimes they call me a radical lesbian feminist, and other times they call me a white Nazi supremacist. So, um, I well, thought no, I according according to Marma Davidson, you're a white cis man, and you are responsible for all the violence yeah. in society. Isn't it strange, Bob, that? This whole movement is designed to sow total confusion. Mm. And they they actually revel in the contradiction and hypocrisy. And I see people of 
let me say this gently, Bob, your age, my age, <laughs> males, <laughs> men of no colour, yeah. right, men who think that they're a man and love woman and in particular love their wives. Yeah. We sit there totally confused by this and now you have always understood it and now I'm beginning to understand it because the confusion is the point. Mm. So the, the idea that you can be a violent bully and then be anti-bullying, and we're sitting there saying, hang on, this is terrifically mm. hypocritical. They don't bat an eye. No, and and uh, I mean, I, I'm just warning parents about the pink shirt day because I think a lot of parents don't understand what's actually driving it. No, we'll get to that, Bob. I just want to pick up on the Chanel Lull thing, and yeah. I will, I promise you. But uh, And everyone will growl because I'm interrupting you, but I want to get you onto the bigger picture because yeah. – um, you have the situation where conversion therapy, uh, and that could be um, your 10-year-old comes home from school <laughs> and says, oh, you know, Dad, I think I'm, I'm really a girl. Mm. And you say, son, you're not a girl, you're a boy, mm. and we need to get some help. Well, you can't do that, right? No, you, I mean, that could be criminalised, especially if the child decides to go to the counsellor and says that um, my parents are, uh, you know, practising conversion therapy on me. The interesting thing about all this, Rodney, is that conversion therapy is still legal in New Zealand if you convert towards LGBT, but if you convert well, away from it, it's illegal. Yeah, so, so in the school, my uh, kids are being taught yeah. that they could be this sex other than what they are. Mm. And that's fine, but if I try and work the other way, it's not. It's unbelievable. I mean, and that's part of the confusion. The other thing is this I was thinking about, Bob, and as I read more, I'm getting – I'm loving getting the clarity about what's going on because if you don't understand where these people are coming from, it's just confusion. Mm. We were taught that people are born gay, right, and it's like – they're genetically gay, and that's it. So when I was a kid, homosexuality was sort of an activity that um, people were engaged in. They weren't actually homosexual, if you know what I mean. It wasn't a thing mm. that you you were. It was an ac action that people took. Where And then it was, no, no, you're born homosexual, and I sort of bought into that. Okay, I get that. But now you're not born a man or a woman, you get to choose that, but you can't choose whether you're gay or not. Yeah, and the rules the rules change constantly, and that's why you have a plus at the end of LGBTQIAA plus 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 um, yeah. because the rules just constantly change. Because once you take away the binary, once you take away the biological fact of male female, then uh, you know where do you stop? Uh, basically, there is no limit because it's not defined on objective reality, it's based on identity, and we can imagine whatever we like. I mean, I'm sure you think you're Arnold Schwarzenegger. You yep. never will be, you probably think you are. Every time I go to the buffet, I want to be a seven-year-old because I want the child rate. So, yeah. you know, it's just 
yeah, it, it, it's, it's a disaster. But I do think, uh, Rodney, that uh, what happened in Albert Park with Chanel Lal and the Posey Park protest, I think, uh, I can't remember if we talked about this last time. We, we did. Yeah, I still think it's been a turning point. And just as I have conversations with people, and generally what I do is I sit back and I just wait for them to express their opinion so that they don't sort of feel they have to, you know, align with mine. Or I'm just really interested to find out how the general Joe and uh, Joe, Joe and Joanne in the street think. Mm. And the then the general um, population are saying exactly the way you just expressed it that it, it just is is doesn't make sense. It, it, mm. It's not normal, and um, and we've seen the extreme side of it. And, of course, the irony is that the group that are demanding tolerance and, um, you know, inclusion and diversity are so quick to exclude anybody like TERFs and cis white men who disagree with them. So, and, you know, let's face it, that's that's part of the reason that uh, Reality Check Radio um, has, has found so quick success because... Uh, this viewpoint has been aided and abetted by our mainstream media who have been pushing this narrative and haven't allowed a uh, any challenge on it. So, for example, stuff um, which is very left-leaning and even, uh, you know, polling of people, they admit that they're left-leaning and even the journalists admit they're left-leaning, uh, will not allow a contra view on this issue and other issues like, for example, environmentalism and the fact, uh, you know, whether it's man-made, global warming, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Well, I've I got to give a big shout out to you and Family First and direct everyone to your webpage because you have been on this for years and we're all latecomers. And also your um, McBlogs are fantastic. And your one on the pink shirt day, I, I, I suggest everyone that's enjoying Bob, uh, go to Family First, go to the webpage, uh, click through his videos. He also helpfully has a transcript as well, and they're wonderful. Um, I got a very interesting email, Bob, that I'll, uh, I'll share the tenor of, uh, with you. Um, I haven't got it in front of me, but I did read it out on the show. And it was from a lovely elderly transvestite whom I know and I will call her she because she is a lovely person whom I know and have always had a high regard for and she emailed me to say that what we had said on our show was 100% accurate and she said that she wasn't a woman and she said it was her, her eternal regret that she wasn't a woman, but she knew she wasn't. She says, I know that I'm in the body of a man, but um, she wanted to be a woman. Now, mm. I don't understand that. You don't understand that. But in a funny way, I sort of respect it. Mm. And she said that through a very difficult life, she had come to be accepted, but she said she would never force herself into a woman's space, into a woman's sport. She could only ever be invited. And I thought that's that's the that's what being a human being is. And she said these activists took over the movement, she thought, 20 years ago. And she said, I could see this happening. 
And she said, there's no respect for womanhood. And I thought it's amazing because Posey Parker and you and I will get labelled as anti-trans, but actually they're anti even the trans people, mm-hmm. which is extraordinary, right? Yeah. And, I mean, my heart goes out to um, this transvestite because uh, it doesn't sound at all comfortable, but um, we can empathise and we can sympathise, and, of course, that's I guess, is the Christian thing. And mm. so we we tend to get forced by this debate into a box which doesn't fit us. Mm. You know, you're not a right-wing fascist fundamentalist Christian. You know, I'm not a radical feminist whatever. Um, we're not anti-trans. We're not anti-people. Mm. Um, so it's extraordinary how you get 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 labelled in this debate. So um, I think it's important because oftentimes people don't want to stand up because we're not anti-trans, you know, or we're not climate change deniers. You know, we're not these things that we get labelled as. And, of course, we'll come now to Pink Shirt Day because it has this wonderful thing of being anti-bullying. Mm. And who could not be anti-bullying? Well, is Bob McCroskey anti-bullying because you've got a question mark over Pink Shirt Day? Tell us about Pink Shirt Day. Yeah, look, um, just before I do, um, just your, I mean, the point that you raise about being labelled is actually all part of the strategy. And um, it, it actually, there was an amazing book called After the Ball, which was uh, written by uh, Marshall Kirk and Hunt Madsen, and it was after the ball, how America will conquer its fear and hatred of gays in the 90s. And basically, it was the marketing strategy for normalizing LGBT. And of course, you know, you've got to take your hat off to them. They did an unbelievable job. They have, uh, you know, uh, normalized it within, within the um, community, within the culture. But part of their strategy, they talk about their strategy and one of the things that they say is their strategy is uh, uh, what they call jamming. And jamming is defined as psychological terrorism meant to silence expression of or even support for a dissenting opinion. And so that's where the terms homophobic, hate speech, hate crime, intolerant, bigot, right-wing fundamentalist, Nazi, those terms all come out because, in effect, what they're saying is Look, even if you can't win the debate, you just label them negatively. And uh, the fact of the matter is uh, people like you and me, Rodney, and uh, probably many of your listeners don't like these labels. They don't like, you know, being thought of as being bigoted or phobic. And um, it's designed to shut them up. And, you know, my encouragement to your listeners is understand why you've been given this label. It's not because you deserve it. It's because it's designed to shut you up and don't let it. Mm. work through and just keep debating the issue and keep asking the questions that need to be asked. Um, And just before we uh, move on, you were talking about a general approach to what's happening in our culture. Um, One of my McBlogs recently was about the UN report that came out, and there was actually a New Zealander on who was one of the authors of the report, which was our uh, previous Governor-General by the name of, I'm just trying to remember her name, actually. Um, I will find it and I'll remember it. But it's a UN report that talked about uh, removing, um, well, this is what it said, sexual conduct involving persons below the domestically prescribed minimum age of consent to sex may be consensual, in fact, if not in law. 
So you, what they're saying, no, yeah, no, they're saying that sex amongst kids is okay if they consent, even when by law they cannot consent. So what it's not calling for the legalization of sex with minors, but it is, it doesn't give an age of consent. Uh, in, in effect, it's 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 basically saying, look, you shouldn't use the law. I don't know if you remember, but this actually came up uh, amongst the Labor Party in about 2000 and was it 12 or 13? Phil Goff got in trouble because there was a bill going through Parliament. That's right. The Labor was saying right. that I wanted to lower the age of consent. Yes. Yeah. And and you know, so this is just a continuation because they say uh, that. Well, I think in effect, what it is is it's it's the sexualization of kids, and and that's what's happening in our culture. Is that now? I mean, not not this report also called for the legalization of all drugs, even for underage and even for pregnant women. It called for legalization of prostitution. It called for uh, basically gender affirming care and and legalization of all abortion. So um, it's it's a typical UN document, I'm sure, as you came across in your political time. But yes, how how do we find that? How do listeners find your commentary and that report on your on your webpage? Okay, just just go to familyfirst.nz and uh, search UN, and it's okay. one of my more recent blogs. Right. Uh, it was last week. And, of course, through all of this, we have seen the undermining of what you and I would call, you always, me now, as I'm becoming more aware, an undermining of family values which is a man and a woman forming a stable relationship, loving each other and supporting each other through life Mm. and raising um, sound children who can lead happy and fulfilling lives. And what we're seeing is this massive uptick in mental health, which is exactly what you were predicting all those years ago, Bob. Yeah, um, and interestingly enough, there was a a recent research out uh, in the States that actually talked about the fact that mental health uh, is highest amongst girls and then uh, boys um, are slightly below that. But here's the interesting thing. When they broke it down into whether the kids were conservative or liberal, they found that. liberal females were far more likely to have uh, mental health issues followed by liberal boys and then conservative girls, conservative boys. It's a fascinating study, and I'll send you the link to that so that if anybody does request it, I I want to do a bit of a blog on this whole mental health issue. But, hey, let's face it, who's surprised that kids are confused and stressed because they're going to school they're being told that actually they, you know, they could be the opposite sex and maybe they need to think about it. Maybe and just by the way, Bob, for any listener that doubts this, <laughs> I can promise you this <laughs> is a regular thing in schools. Everyday teachers are talking about this just by the by in the classroom. That's my experience with my kids. And honest to goodness, Bob, if I hadn't have experienced it, mm. I would have listened to you and said, oh, no, 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 Bob, sort of, it's hyperbolic. He's relying on what's happening in America. No, no, no. I would say, from what I've read and what I've seen, New Zealand is almost at the forefront of this stuff. 
Yep, yeah, that would be true. It would be uh, we'd be having a race with Canada, the UK, Australia, and parts of the United States. I mean, back to Pink Shirt Day. Here's the recommended book list for Pink Shirt Day, uh, which includes Life Isn't Binary on being both beyond and in between. Uh, My Shadow is Pink, which is a book that empowers LGBTQ children and teaches children the concept of diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, Seeing Gender, an illustrated guide to identity and expression. And The Savvy Ally, a guide for becoming a skilled LGBTQ plus advocate. These are the books that are recommended, part of the recommended reading book list. A lot of people don't understand is that Pink Shirt Day is, is simply about fundraising and pushing uh, the LGBT agenda and especially, for example, the Inside Out program, which is part of Rainbow Youth, which is, I think, what we're going to talk about a little bit more in detail. Yes, well, tell us about um, who's behind Pink Shirt Day so that who's advocating for it, who's pushing it, and um, what is it saying when your place of work dresses up in pink for the day and throws in a gold coin? Well, in effect, what you're doing is the rainbow tick. You're uh, being woke and you're virtue signalling and saying that uh, you're endorsing uh, programs like Inside Out, which is part of Rainbow Youth, which goes into schools and indoctrinates kids with the fact that, um, you know, you were assigned something at birth and the doctor might have got it wrong and you're actually the other, you're the other sex or the other gender and, uh, you know, the two are separate and um, you should identify as one of 112 genders and 200 plus sexualities. I mean, you know, and kids are also being told that the earth is going to hell because of man-made global warming, and and then they're having to have uh, practice uh, hiding under desks because of possible, um, you know, uh, crime going on outside the classroom lockdowns. Mm. No wonder kids are stressed. I'd be stressed if that was happening. I used to get stressed just when my teacher was away and we had a relief teacher. Now now they're telling kids that, you know, uh, they're, they're sexualizing them. And it's it's adult. I mean, we called it adult entertainment, didn't we, uh, Rodney? Um, they're basically indoctrination, not education. I don't think it's education. It's indoctrination of, of, of material that is not age appropriate. And it's polluting the moral innocence of our kids. Uh, my my inside out turned up at my local school. Um, for listeners, you can Google them. Uh, they're behind Pink Shirt Day, and they are in receipt of funding that is raised on Pink Shirt Day. Mm-hmm. They turned up um, without my knowledge and had two hours with my 11-year-old daughter, when I say with her, her class. Yep. And this was a group of... Um, young teenagers who identify as transgender or non-binary. It's a complete alphabet soup. Mm. And um, to be fair, they look disturbed young children, and my Mm. heart goes out to them. Mm. Um, But they, without my knowledge, were talking to my 11-year-old and her classmates about how lots and lots of people, and they could be in the class, there'll be several uh, who are boys who should be girls and girls who should be boys, and they might choose to live one or the other, or that may be who they are, and that was all cool, and that was okay. Yeah. And that happened in primary school. And so these kids are suddenly thinking about, well, what does it mean to, you know, what's the sex business, what sort of – and when you 
I now realize this, Bob. I didn't know this. When you subscribe to Pink Shirt Day, this is who is promoting it. And this is who you are supporting with your donation, which is quite extraordinary. Is it not? Yeah. Oh, well, I had a look at Rainbow Youth's uh, most recent financial. Now, what's Rainbow Youth? I don't know about that. So Rainbow Youth is, uh, they sponsor uh, Inside Out. So uh, Rainbow Youth is exactly that. They're, they're pushing the LGBT. They're behind all the programs going into schools. And in fact, they are advising education groups and government on how to indoctrinate kids with this LGBT agenda. And they're funded, uh, their latest um, their latest accounts show that they've got, they had an income in the last financial year of just under 2 million, of which uh what is it seven no more than half a million came from your taxpayer money uh local government gave 230,000 and district health boards for trans support gave 112 so if you can't get your hip operation or you know um things checked or you know there's not nurses well it's okay they're funding trans support services 112,000 to rainbow youth i mean there's no shortage of money um as they as they push this agenda and if you have a Christian school, Bob, um, and you're integrated, let's say, first of all, can you avoid this? Yeah, well, that's a really good point. And um, if you go to our website, if you go on to our, uh, if you look at our parent guide, so it's our recent research report, We've, I actually, and I wrote this over Christmas because people get contacting me and saying, how do we push back on this whole issue? And so basically I put together a um, 20-page parent guide, which includes the background and it gives uh, what the law says and has action points. So how to approach your school in a respectful but effective manner, as as you have done, Rodney. Um, And it also gives, you know, uh, uh, examples of programs and and feedback. I mean, this type of stuff is not only in Pink Shirt Day, it's even sneaking into stuff like outdoor education, uh, Outdoor Education New Zealand has a program called Going With The Flow, which is all about telling people while they're doing outdoor education on a school trip that men can have periods. So this is the type of in, uh, indoctrination. But I did do a um, just a short section on state-integrated schools because, you know, a lot of parents say they make extra sacrifice to get their children into schools that have the values that they want, whether it's Christian or there's some Muslim schools here in Auckland uh, and there's some non-Christian but integrated. There's the uh, Māori schools as well. And what people need to understand uh, if you send your kids to those schools is that the uh, Ministry of Education and, in fact, the uh, Education and Training Act, which is the act that governs uh, all schools, actually says that, no, it is the role and it's the right and it's the expectation of those schools to um, reinforce teaching uh, that reflects that that religious instruction. They have a legal responsibility to ensure religious instruction in keeping with their special character forms part of the programs in the education. So parents need to keep their schools accountable and and you know, push back if they see some uh, mission drift in terms of their local school, because the schools are under huge pressure from the Ministry of Education. It's been rammed down at all levels. And um, the good example has been Bethlehem College, who pushed back and said, 
No, our our schools expect us to um, our schools expect us to um, you know have these values, and we're going to hold on to them. So, uh, Bethlehem College has been a good example of how schools just need to get some backbone and push back. But for state schools, it's much harder. But state schools still have to reflect through the board and through the parents what parents want, and parents need to know what the law says and what their rights are in terms of uh, when they can remove their kids. And we encourage parents to remove their kids. Don't take the risk. Don't don't uh, hope for the best. You can't do that anymore, not necessarily because of the teacher, not necessarily because of the school, but because of the indoctrination that's coming through from the government and the ministry. It's interesting too because there must be, uh, and I no doubt you hear from them, many, many teachers who are very uncomfortable with this but uh, have to go along uh, with it. And um, I can feel that the, some of the teachers that my children have would be very uncomfortable with it, yeah. but I don't, I don't raise it with them because it would make for a very professionally awkward conversation for them mm. and potentially a terminating conversation because um, that's the effect it's so stultifying, and you can see it also with our large companies that mm. um, they get bullied into taking on the rainbow tick, and then when they get the rainbow tick, that then becomes a charter for how they should behave mm. um, because you'll lose your rainbow tick. Um, and, of course, Bob, it's, it's so difficult to see lovely people who – want to stop bullying, who want to make a society that's welcoming of everyone and who don't want to be bigoted or judgmental or all, all these things that we've been taught to be. And so they're very, quote, nice people. They're very caring people. Mm. And that, if you like, carried along with Pink Shirt Day. And then there's us labelled as hard-hearted, uncaring, and it's created a big gulf everywhere you look. And I, I tried to invite, um, as I said earlier, the the Mental Health Foundation on, on the show, but they won't discuss it because there's too big a gulf they feel between us. And that's part of the problem too. We can't have a mature discussion about these things because it's never been voted upon. And when Posey Parker comes out to speak, she's shut down and anyone that supports her is shut down. So there's this big gulf opening up, I feel, that you can't even talk about it, Bob. Yep, and of course that goes back to what the strategy is. It, it is that you label them, that you attack any dissenting opinion. Um, you know, I think... I mean, uh, you know, Rodney. I think the reason we respect each other is because uh, when I was uh, when I was on when we were on opposite sides, and I was interviewing you, um, I was I was the DJ, and you were the politician. We we respectfully disagreed on some issues, but we respectfully did it. And uh, I I think that's a quality that conservatives need to hold on to. We need to remain respectful in all of this. We need to understand that. Uh, people can have different opinions, as you said, with your 
transvestite that contacted you. I mean, we've yes. know Georgina Byer, who said yeah. recently, I mean, I went to school with George Byer, who became Georgina Byer. Oh, really? How yeah. lovely. And and his, um, yeah, I knew the family. And, uh, and you know, it's it's just a respectful, it's a respectful thing. Uh, I, it's, it, there's not a, a, they try to make out that there's hate and phobia. There's not. There's just, people disagree on different issues. Um, the reason I like conservatives because is because I think we can respectfully disagree. Unfortunately, the left, the radical left have become uh, so intolerant and, uh, you know, they talk about diversity, equity and inclusion, uh, but it's become inequity, inequity and um, exclusion and delusion almost uh, in terms of what they're pushing. And it's... Uh, I mean, I don't want to get too spiritual on you, uh, Rodney, but no, I, please do. The interesting thing I found was uh, Posey Parker. She, in her interview, she did an interview with the Spectator in the UK, and she was just sharing her experience in New Zealand. The whole of the world knew about what was happening in New Zealand. It was terrible stain on on our reputation. What happened that day? But um, she said, look, I'm, I'm not religious in any sort of manner, but what I experienced there felt demonic. Yes. And, and in some ways, I, I think it, there is that spiritual level to it. It's, it's, um, there is that component. And, of course, it is, it is rejecting everything that comes in the values of Judeo-Christian values. And um, so we shouldn't be surprised by that. It's interesting because uh, going back to Posey Parker, because it was uh, you and I both think it's a watershed moment because um, the activists could have ignored her. Yeah. And the media we know could have ignored her. Yeah. And you and I probably would never know that she'd been I've in I've never God. heard of her. <laughs> Who's Posey Parker? <laughs> and um, I, I listening to British commentators. And the one that really hit me hard was a British commentator who said his entire life he'd wanted to come to New Zealand because mm. he always thought of it as such a beautiful place, uh, egalitarian, wonderful nature, not heavily populated or polluted. And now he said he couldn't dream of wanting to visit New Zealand because of the level of intolerance mm. displayed, not just by the people turning up to be violent at the protest, but the media and the politicians egging it on. Like yeah. this was a this was a big thing. I mean, the Prime Minister and Minister of Immigration uh hyped it up. And of course, this again is going back to Pink Shirt Day, is you and I know that if you're in the workplace, if you're at school. If you're a parent with your kids at school, you're having to make a tough decision about Pink Shirt Day mm. because the easiest thing is just to go along with it, put a pink shirt on, and throw $2 mm. into the collection box and support Rainbow Youth and Inside Out to, as you say, indoctrinate your children or to expose them to stuff you don't want them exposed to because they're children. Or... You literally have to say this is a this is the hill upon which I die, <laughs> right? Because if you refuse to put on your pink shirt, you're making a bold statement. 
Well, ironically, uh, those are the ones who are like kids are, are likely to get bullied if they're not um, buying into the uh, the anti-bullying day. That's that's the sad irony. Look, in all of this, we do encourage parents just to say, uh, look, on days like this, um, just simply do a. I mean, there's also the silent day. I can't remember what they call it. Um, you know, where they take their mouths up, and that's an anti-bullying day as well. I mean, there's days throughout the year. There's weeks. There's months. It, it um, it's never ending. Uh, you know, we celebrate Anzac Day one, basically one day, but uh, all these types of days are just never ending. Um, and that's part of the indoctrination. But we just encourage parents: look, do a field trip that day. Um, keep them home from school, you'll you'll probably do more on a basic, achieve more on a basic field trip. And it's why, unfortunately, homeschooling is becoming increasingly attractive. It is. Yes, indeed. And tell me, Bob, uh, do you know anything about the Mental Health Foundation's role in this? No, they just seem to be a partner organisation. And once again, this is this push that all the majority of bullying is purely around LGBT. And in the McBlog that I did in the the script, which you can see on our website, you know, I actually talk about the fact that the research shows that kids are just just as likely and, in fact, more likely to be bullied, uh, as you'll remember and I remember from our school days, for kids that are disabled, uh, you know, the ones that have got zits, that have got the big ears, that, um, you know, walk funny, talk funny, have the stutter, um, you've got the cyber bullying, which doesn't, you know, go looking for LGBT. It just bullies anybody that's online. And of course, you've got the racist bullying that's that's prevalent uh, in some communities as well. Now, you know, if Pink Shirt Day just focused on all bullying and all victims, and 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 funded those types of programs, you know, we'd achieve. I, I remember actually uh, in my pre-radio and family first days, I was actually a social worker in South Auckland for a community organisation that I'd set up. And I worked in the intermediate school, the local one, and and they used to have some issues of bullying. Uh, and generally what they would do is every so often they would uh, take all the kids in all the classrooms and they would just get them to confidentially write down on a piece of paper any kids that would, they were being bullied by. And then they would collect in all these pieces of paper and they would collate them. And I tell you what, you can imagine what happened. About three or four names came up and they knew exactly who were the kids that needed um, (laughs) some support. And they would refer those kids to our life skills program that we were running and we would work with them and deal with some of the behind the scene issues of often they're the ones getting bullied at home or or in, an, in another setting. And so they're taking it out at school or, you know, there's other issues going on. And, you know, we've lost sight of that. And, and what we've done is we've just focused on one particular group, uh, which is the, you know, the LGBT groups and Rainbow Youth and indoctrinating our kids on gender and sexuality. Um, and we really need to get back to the basics of reading, writing and arithmetic. Because I, pink, I, did pink. Think, um, I did think that uh, the act party did. Uh, I did chuckle a lot because um, the the Labor Party put out their pedagogy on the, and the Ministry of Education put out some pedagogy on teaching uh, maths. And I don't know if you saw it, but it I went did. On, it went on about power structures and victimology. It was <laughs> it was critical theory one hundred and one. And in response, uh, David Seymour said, um, "Act policy is." 
one plus one equals two. <laughs> and I think every parent thought, yeah, that's exactly what we want. <laughs> well, well, you don't understand, Bob, because maths and arithmetic is a colonialist um, oh, construct really? that is part of the power structure over all the oppressed groups. Yeah. And, of course, you would believe one plus one equals two because you're one of the uh, people causing all the violence in the world. I mean, that's how... It's running, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, our legacy media are so run down, so beholden to government, and so taken over by the mob that they're a big part of this problem. And again, it's that legacy media that are seeing, uh, I'm sure, your webpage traffic go up, seeing the likes of the platform and Reality Check Radio, and mm. people looking at this and feeling uncomfortable and again, we go back to Posey Parker, which was a very visual, um, a very visual nationwide display mm. of what we are experiencing in our lives at work, at dinner parties, uh, with our kids at school, about what you're allowed to talk about and discuss, and to question, to question it is uh, not allowed, and by questioning it, you're showing your your bigotry or your racism or your colonial attitude everywhere you look. Um, I'll never forget, Bob, I, I just, this is completely off topic, but <laughs> I think it was about 2001 and 2002, and I'd formulated this very, very excellent question in my mind, to ask of the Prime Minister, Helen Clark. And it was a very on-point question. It was beautifully prepared. And I stood up in our parliament and full display of the nation's media, and I asked her my beautiful question, which I've entirely forgotten. And she just stood up and said, oh, well, you know, that member is a well-known climate change denier. And... I looked up expecting everyone to roar at her <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, that is that is exactly not allowed. That's not allowed in a discussion or a debate. And um, obviously it's allowed in Parliament. You've got free speech. But I would expect the media to have leapt on that and say the Prime Minister dodged a question and engaged in a very poor ad hominem attack. Yeah. But from that moment on, I was a climate change denier. Yeah. And it absolutely worked. And I can remember, to my shame, Bob, you being labelled a bigot and me thinking, oh, oh well, I, I always liked Bob um, and I'll go on his show. But a part of me was a bit worried because I thought, well, Am I going on his show and becoming a bigot? That's how insidious it is, right? Yeah. And maybe that's Mark Wilson's point with um, the Mental Health Foundation. Oh, well, you're such and such, and so I won't come on your show, and your listeners are all such and such. I won't come on your show. And so we have cut down or eliminated that debate and therefore undermined 
not just the family with these programs, but also it's an undermining of civil society where you have civilized debate, civilized discussion, and you talk things through. And you may not get to a point where you agree or disagree, um, but you always walk away with respect. Has Mike Wilson actually canvassed all your listeners and established uh, what they believe? That's phenomenal. Well, he hasn't said that, but I'm I'm <laughs> I'm reading his mind and I'm hypothesizing because that's your experience and my experience, right? Yeah. Of you know, family first followers uh, being labelled yeah. uh, and and being and 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 being dismissed so that we can't have uh, this discussion yeah which is part and parcel of living in a civil society yeah right? and, and and they can't handle the discussion so it's easier to label and dismiss and and uh, to attack as I said earlier um rather than engage in the debate because to be honest it's pretty hard defending this whole view that a man can be a woman and a woman can be oh, a man. It's, it's it's impossible. I feel sorry for them trying to defend yeah. the invincible. It's impossible. It is absolutely impossible. On, I mean, whether you're religious or not, whether you rely on the science or not, whatever whatever way you look at it, um, it is absolutely binary. There is not a spectrum. The light is either on or it's off. Yeah. Now, the light can be have a electrical fault in it, and you push the switch and it doesn't go on. And so, you, yes, we, you and I understand you can have intersex, but they take an intersex example and make a very long bow of it. Yeah, and um, and of course, the tragedy here, Bob, is what we're learning from the UK is that oftentimes they're taking autistic kids or kids that are gay and saying you're transgender, right? And, of course, that's upsetting um, a lot of the movement too. And you'll be familiar, I imagine, with a lot of uh, gay men and lesbian women who are Christian, right? Yep. And they're upset uh, by this blurring. So it's not all um, one way. Well, Bob, what you're suggesting for Pink Shirt Day is don't put the pink shirt on and keep your kids home. That's what I'll be doing. Well, I think when people investigate what's actually behind it and uh, who they're putting up as the role models, uh, yeah, they'd want to stay clear of it. And even supporters of a Pink Shirt Day concept uh, are staying well clear of it. And as I say, it's 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 a pity because we're all anti-bullying and we all want yeah. our kids to be taught that. But and there's yeah. a quick answer now, isn't there? Because you can say, well, why are you against Pink Shirt Day? Oh, no, it's easy. I don't support Chanel Lal. Yeah. And they'll say, who? And you'll explain who Chanel Lal is. And yeah. you say, don't support that. And you're, you're out of it. You're, you're, they have to explain how Chanel Lal, I hope I'm pronouncing the name right, Chanel Lal, explain how they can be the face of anti-bullying in New Zealand when that person's provocation shut down woman wanting to speak and saw an elderly woman with her eye socket fractured. Yeah. End of story. Yeah. Can't support that. Bob, 
It's always a pleasure uh, talking to you. I'm talking with Bob Bukowski of Family First, a wonderful human being with uh, a wonderful array of resources. I encourage everyone to go through, uh, even even the uh, non-Christian readers, because there is a wealth of material of what's happening socially, uh, culturally uh, in New Zealand, and a very fine critique of education and wider societal trends. And I think it's an amazing resource because we're not arguing now in our country about tax rates or more regulation or less regulation. There is fundamentally a cultural division opening up and we're talking about what our values are as human beings, what our values are as a society. And everything else comes after that. You know, you're arguing about tax rates or you're arguing about how much we should spend on our health system. Well, before that, we need to be discussing and thinking about our values because there's a big divide opened up about our values. Uh, You're on Reality Check Radio. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. You can text us at 2057. Uh, Thank you for tuning in and thanks to the lovely Bob McCroskey from Family First. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Uh, If you want to contact us, the lovely girls that run everything uh, sent me a little cheat sheet because I think I've been giving random emails out for contacting me, but I've got it in front of me, and they must think I'm a bit blind. It's in about 72-point size. Email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio, and you can text us now. Just text to, here's the number, 2057. 2057. And if you're haven't got a pencil there, get one, because I know you're going to want to write down our next guest's contact details, and I'll be putting them out through the show. He's one of our favourite guests with listeners. It's the incomparable, the marvellous, and fabulous Wally Richards. Good morning, Wally. Good morning, Rodney. Do you know, uh, you've got such a great personality, Wally, and everyone loves you and you're getting a lot of contact from people right off the show oh yes yes i've had phone calls emails people ordering books through our mail order website and products um and the compliments uh back from the people have been excellent lovely even some people that said i'm a very experienced gardener i listened to your show and i learned so much i know my goodness I know. I had a lady email me. She said she's been gardening for 48 years and she was listening to me bumbling about my garden, questioning you, and she said she learned a lot. Isn't yeah. that amazing? Now, I want to make a plug for your books, and I know if people want to get them, they've got to get um, them quick because you're down to your last box on one of them. There's I've got Wally's Down to Earth Gardening Guide which I haven't got through, but I'm working my way through. I sort of pick it up and dabble in it, and I love it. I've got Wally's Gardening and Health, which, to be fair, I haven't started. And I've got Wally's Glasshouse Gardening, which I've read three times. And you've got a great style of writing, Wally, and you're going to have to write a special Reality Check Radio edition because I know you're getting down on your your books. So if people want those books they need to get in 
uh, and get them. I hardly recommend them. Um, and bear in mind, I'm just a beginning gardener. But here's how you can contact Wally. You can phone him, amazingly, and you won't get um, push button one, push button two. Actually, Wally will answer, and he doesn't mind, which is even more more amazing. Tell me if I get this number right, Wally. 0800 466 That's the one. And if you like, I can play the game when I answer the phone. I can say, uh, this is da-da-da. Now, if you want Wally Richards, push button one. <laughs> or if you want Wally Richards, push button two. <laughs> God, those things infuriate you, don't they? Oh, yeah, for sure. And then you wait 15 minutes, yes. and they, they play the same music over and over. Yes. Oh, my and God. Then- and then you lose your signal on your phone because you've got a crap signal and you've got to start over again. And you can email Wally. I'm a more of an email person. Wally, uh, J-R, so it's Wally, J-R, one word, at gardennews.co.nz. And he's put a trick in. He only wants to be emailed by people who have got a good memory and are clever. And so in order to do that, when he did garden news, there's only one N in garden news. Now, you, people like me always want to put two Ns because we think garden news. No, no, garden news, one word. So his email is get a pencil, wallyjr at garden news with one N, dot co dot NZ, or give him a call 0800 466 464. Now, Wally, what should we be doing in the garden now? Okay, just one thing before we go there. Um, we also have another website, which is our mail order website. So if people want to order the books, now the mail order website is the same as our 0800 number. So it's www.0800-466-464.co.nz. And that's all the books and everything else that we have is available there. You're a, you're a marketing genius doing that. Yeah, I thought so. what should i be doing in my garden i've got lots to tell you what i have done but you tell me okay at the moment we're heading into winter so uh, a lot of people will have plants which are frost tender they need protection through the winter time so the ideal thing of course is to either use frost cloth which is cumbersome because you've got to put it on if it looks like it's going to be a frost and then take it off the next day. We have a product called VaporGuard. Now, VaporGuard is a spray-on frost protection. It's simply made up at 15 mils per litre of warm water, ideally, into your sprayer and spray over the foliage of any of your plants like citrus, etc., uh, avocados, um, passion fruit, all those ones that can get damaged quite severely by frost. Spray it over the foliage on a nice sunny day so the film dries quicker. Now, the film is a polyphenolamide film, and what happens is after you've sprayed it over, it protects the plant from UV. Now, UV hampers the plant's ability to produce um, carbohydrates through photosynthesizing, right? So as a result of the film, it's a sunscreen and the plant will be able to photosynthesize to a max from the sunlight. That means the foliage will go to a much darker, richer green within three days of application. 
Now, when it this happens, because it's producing so much energy from the sun, it also produces a thing called glycosol. And glycosol is antifreeze. So it's like your antifreeze in your car to stop your engine seizing up or whatever in the in the cold weather. The antifreeze protects the cells of the plant, which still freeze with the frost, but as a result of the antifreeze, they thaw out without any damage. This works a treat if you have the occasional frost, but if you have two or three frosts night after night, the plant doesn't have a chance to completely heal before it's hit again, and then the leaves start to turn black. So for the first frost, magic. Second frost the following night, you need a bit of frost cloth or a sack or something over the plant to give it that added protection. On the fourth or fifth night uh, without a frost, two or three days later, it's once again the plant's healed and it gives you ideal protection. Down to minus three for three months. So one wow. application lasts for three months. And say you've got a typical garden, is it very expensive to spray your plants? No, the 100ml bottle makes up six litres of spray, um, which um, is probably enough to do the more tender plants in your garden. Some people use it on bromeliads, etc. And if you just hang on a second, I'll grab you the price. Yeah, the price for the 100ml bottle is $20. Well, that's not bad. Now... One thing that you got me lost on was, and that won't hurt the plants, what you spray on them. No, no. In actual fact, it enhances the plants. VaporGuard has got a lot of uses. Um, besides giving frost protection, um, it also reduces the amount of uh, transparent uh, moisture loss, should I say, out of the foliage. So in the summertime, if you have a drought situation, you spray the plant over and under the foliage and the moisture requirement the plant has reduced by about 40%. If you're transplanting seedlings, you know how you get your seedlings in a little punnet and so forth, and you you wet it down, you take them out, um, and you plant them into the ground, they lay down, and it takes a few days before they pick themselves up and start to grow. If you spray those seedlings with vapour guard, before you take them out of the punnet and just leave them for a day or so. Then when you take them apart, it reduces the damage you've caused to the roots and hence the plants go into the ground, they stand up like little soldiers and they grow. So would it be good for my little beach plants that I've got? Yeah, yeah, for veggie plants particularly. Um, you do not want to ever stress your young veggie plant seedlings, unless they're tomatoes or fruiting plants, brassicas, silver beet, et cetera. If plants get stressed, the first thing that they want to do is reproduce themselves. So as soon as they get a growing burst, they will go to seed and your crop's lost. And how do you avoid stressing them with the vapour guard? Um, Because... It reduces. I know. I get how it does it, but when you say don't stress them, you mean before you transplant them, give them a spray with vapor guard two days before, and then transplant them, and that stops the stress. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Because it takes the stress off the roots. Um, 
trying to re-establish because the foliage doesn't require a lot of moisture, and that's what the roots are providing. So how do I tell which of my plants are frost-sensitive? Because they're just plants to me. How do I identify frost-sensitive plants from non-frost-sensitive plants? Um, Good question. Um, And a difficult one. You know by experience from previous seasons, winters and so forth, that your passion fruit vine got knocked, your uh, hibiscus got knocked, um, your uh, avocado. Young foliage on plants is very tender. So plants that have been fed um, a reasonable amount of nitrogen up till winter will have what we call soft, sappy growth. Now, that sappy growth, even on hardy plants, is vulnerable to um, cold winds and frost damage. Mm. So down your neck of the woods, of course, your frost there, it's more difficult to grow citrus trees, lemon trees, etc. So ideally the people there are going to be spraying their plants uh, with vapor guard or using frost cloth to protect the plants from um, the cold frost in the winter. And when you do a frost cloth, uh, Wally, you don't need to build a frame. You can just rest it on the plant. Yes, but that in itself can cause a little bit of problem because it is sitting on the plants. Moisture coming off the foliage is going to impregnate into the cloth and that's going to freeze. So ideally, it works pretty well over the plants. In the old days, we used to have sacks, you know, the old sacks, great yes. big sacks you used to get your potatoes or stuff in. Um, we just used to throw one of those down. They were thick, thick, and they gave ultimate um, protection. So frost cloth over the plants gives reasonable, but you can get a little bit of damage where it's touching the foliage. So you'd be be better if you could get some sort of frame and get them off the plant. True. But that's very difficult um, depending upon the size of the plant. Um, Little plants, easy to do, but uh, once you get up, say, two or three metres tall, um, it's not so easy to get your frost cloth over with a frame unless you have a frame there anyway because you've been protecting the fruit from bird damage and you've got bird netting or whatever over. And you can't leave the frost cloth over the in the day because it stops the sun, is it? Why do you, can't you leave it on for a day? Well, it reduces the amount of light getting okay. to the foliage, and as a result of that, the plant um, is going to suffer. And it's possibly going to make the plant stretch because whenever plants want more light, they will stretch towards the light. And so that stretching can make them weaker, and that's a problem too. So the the, the biggest problem with tender plants is you go to bed at night and you look out before you go to bed and you see, oh, it's windy or it's cloudy, there won't be a frost, right? So off you go to bed, you wake up in the morning and there's a real good frost because during the night the weather changed. Clouds removed, wind dropped, it became still, and at that point of time, um, with the cold temperatures, a frost occurs. 
Now, um, another sorry, <laughs> I, I just it's harder than raising a baby. Oh, um, no, really, because you don't have to change any napkins <laughs> and you don't have to <laughs> dispose of them or wash them. Mind you, to be fair, when they were babies, my wife wouldn't agree with me. It was for me as dad, but I don't think mums would agree. I put my foot in it with that one, Molly. Um, uh, just everyone, you're, you're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We're getting real gardening talk with Wally Richards. Um, you can email me at inbox at realitycheck.radio or text me at 2057. That's the number to send a text. And uh, Wally, you can call him on 0800 466 464. What else? Uh, we've got the frost cloth. We've got the vapor guard. Uh, what else should we be doing, Wally? Okay. The ideal thing, too, is to harden up your plants going into winter. So to harden plants up, which means during the growing season, we're going to use animal manures, nitrogen, etc., cetera, uh, to get the growth. Now, in the wintertime, we don't want soft, sappy, nitrogen-occurred growth. So we harden up by applying um, sulfate of potash or potassium sulfate, and that hardens the plant up and makes it more sturdy against the uh, winter winds and cold. Also, another problem arises. Just, just stop there, uh, Wally. It was sulfate of potash, mm -hmm. and you said something else. Uh, yeah, sulfate of potash, and it, well, this, another name for it is potassium sulfate. Oh, it's the same thing. Yep, same thing. And. Um, I went into Bunnings and I was having a look at for potash and they had all sorts of added stuff, but I just want the sulfate of potash. Yeah. They, uh, they had nutrients in it and all the rest of it. Um, and I thought that's not what Wally told me to get. He just wanted sulfate of potash. Yes, that, that's correct. Okay. But in actual fact, there's another uh, element, magnesium. Right, magnesium is what makes the foliage green, helps photosynthesize that sort of thing. In the winter time, with the cold, magnesium tends to get locked out in the soil. So, as we go into winter, we see our lemon tree starting to go yellow in the foliage, and it's through lack of magnesium. So, ideally, we apply magnesium, Epsom salts, along with the potash. Okay. And we have a particular product called Fruit and Flower Power. Now, that contains 55% potash and 45% magnesium. And you sprinkle that around underneath your plants on the soil, lightly water it down, and that will give the extra magnesium and the potash that the plants need to get through the winter. I just need to do it once for the winter, Wally? Um, yes, for the winter, um, one application. The product is also used for your tomatoes, your fruit trees, etc. during the season while they're uh, flowering and while the fruit has been produced. And during the season, you apply it once a month because okay. you want to have good flavour in your fruit and good flower set, etc., etc. So, um Fruit and flower power is used then during the season for your fruiting plants. But at this time of the year, one application going into winter is sufficient. 
to harden your plants up and make them more durable and keep the foliage green. Can I can I have a wee brag, Wally, about what I've learned from you? Mm-hmm. You apply it quite to the root zone. Yep. See, I never knew what a root zone was until I started talking with you on this show, so I'm learning. Okay. And as above, so below. You've heard that expression, right, in Christian sense and so forth, but in the plant sense, whatever the canopy is, the root zone underneath will be the similar. Okay. So uh, sulphate of potash, magnesium, or what we call Epsom salts, don't put it all in the bath, give some to your plants ahead in winter to harden them up. I sound like such a gardener now with all this coming out of my head, my head's about to explode. What else should I could I be up to, Wally? At the moment in the garden, um, basically it's a matter of keeping your weeds under control. Um, mm-hmm. Ideally, weeds um, should be looked after while they're still quite small, uh, having germinated up an inch or two. And the best way I find with them is I just take a nice, sharp carving knife and I just scrape it across the soil and wipe them out. It's as simple Mm. as that. Um, If you do it when they're small, once they get up in size, I I, once again, I prefer to use a carving knife for weeding because you can cut underneath the soil and cut the foliage off from the root system and leave the roots intact rather than pulling the weed out. The advantage here is that those roots that remain in the soil will uh, decompose and provide food for the plants around them. So your um, weeds have become valuable. And also the foliage that you cut off the top, of course, you can put that in the compost heap if you wish. Or if the weather is reasonably warm and sunny, such as during the summertime, you can just lay it on the ground and that will be absorbed back into the soil very quickly um, by the um, breakdown activity of the microbes in the soil. Are there some weeds where the roots will keep growing? Yes, um, but if you – well, it depends. You've got things like convolvulus, of course, where you only need a little wee bit of root and it's away. You've got other plants which um, have a tap root, and if you cut the head off the root or the crown uh, with a knife, that root will just rot in the ground. Okay. So it's sort of, but you're never going to get that last root of a convolvulus anyway, are you? Um, It it takes time and it's difficult. Uh, The problem, of course, is you can clean up your um, backyard, but it's coming through the fence from the neighbours who are not so concerned about it and um, they just let it go. If that's the case, there's a couple of things that can be done. One lady told me one time that she had a problem with convolvulus coming through um, from the neighbours. So she got a bottle and she put some Roundup in the bottle with... um, water, of course, locked it back to about 10% dilution, and she got the uh, runners of the convolvulus and put them into the bottle. So they grew into the roundup. Wow. Now, in that case, 
it goes back to the source. So it's taken right back, and you're cleaning up the neighbours what's name and solving your problem in your and place. Could, and you're not spraying Roundup everywhere. No, you're not spraying it anywhere, and you're not That's doing any clever. damage to your soil. That's very, very clever. Um, are you a fan of weed mats, Wally? Yeah, I love it. Um, it's great stuff. It could suppress um, weeds in a given area. Um, if you're going to have like shrubs, like weed mat is not much good for veggie gardens. It's it's more for the ornamental shrub um, gardens where you put that down, you cut an X on it, you put your um, rose or whatever plant you're going to plant, and then you fold it back and pin it. And so uh, it keeps the weeds from coming up, except for where the cuts are. And then you cover it over with uh, the likes of bark or scoria or whatever. The danger, is, remember in the old days, we used to use scoria and people would put black plastic yes. down yes. and then put the scoria over it, made it look really nice. Any plants growing there after a couple of years would die because the black plastic doesn't allow the soil to breathe. So hence it becomes very sour, acidic, and a lot of disease pathogens can happen underneath that and the plants just die um, as a result. So weed mat, of course, allows the soil to breathe, allows moisture to go down when it rains or when you water, um, and you can sprinkle fertiliser, slow-release fertiliser onto uh, the gravel or the um, bark or whatever, and that will leach down into the – what's that? On the other hand, weeds – Seeds can land on the weed mat or on the bark and they will root up and they will um, become weeds in your <laughs> weed-free garden. <laughs> but they're fairly easy to pull out because the weeds have to go down through and and you can just uh, pull them out quite simply. So it's a matter of – it's not a thing which will allow um, total weed-free time. Well, I've got a, a question for you, but I've got a story to tell you, uh, if I may, and with listeners' indulgence, because I know you want to hear from Wally, but it's sort of getting to Wally's point. So, Wally, I didn't believe you that I'd be able to get a free glass house, right? You were saying, oh, yeah, go on neighbourly and, you know, go look out and you'll get a free glass house. Well, I started to sign up to Neighbourly and it got too difficult for me. They wanted too much information. And when I looked on, there didn't seem to be much. And then my wife said to me, oh, there's a, someone's got a glass house, a greenhouse, whatever you call them, over in Hawea. And they it's free to just pick up. Well, I couldn't believe it, Wally. So I got it. I got the trailer out. I drove over the hill to Hawea. And there was this glass house for me because no one was home. It took a bit of effort. What the fellow had done was he had got from the, what do you call them, the recycle shop, he'd got this plumbing pipe tubing, mm -hmm. and he'd made these big uh, tubes 
put them under waratahs, if you can picture that, upended. Then he got the polycarbonate sheets, plastic uh, wrap from Red Paths and put it over and made two doors. He was a carpenter. It was quite tidy. And he'd had that running for five years, and now he's putting in a bigger uh, glass house with, uh, I think, proper glass. He's got it all ready to go. So I picked all that up, and I've brought it over, and I'm assembling it inside my nursery, which is rabbit-proof. But um, so I'm very, very excited, Wally. But I've got a question for you about the weed map. I'm not going to concrete it because it's not going to be very permanent where it is. Should I put weed mat inside it? You're not going to grow in the soil itself inside. I hadn't. I hadn't thought to, but I'm happy to. What would you recommend? Um, Well, you've got two options Uh, because it's going over existing soil. Um, you could quite easily treat it as a garden with cover over it. What you've got is, of course, it's not a glass house, it's a tunnel house. You showed me a picture picture of it, yeah. Um, Tunnel houses uh, are relatively inexpensive compared to glass houses, Um, and they're very good. They last as long as the plastic, and then you get another sheet of plastic and put it over, and they're relatively easy to re-plastic compared to um, using plastic sheeting on a um, more permanent structure like a glass house. Okay, so if you want to grow in containers and have it weed-free in the glass house, then, yes, you could put down you could put down weed mat, but in your particular case, you could use the black plastic because you don't care about what happens to the soil underneath. Got it. And, and the black plastic will be uh, much better and it will help generate more heat as a yep. result. Yep. And then over the black plastic, rather than bark, I would put pea metal, you know, the nice little stones that they use on the streets for yes. the Yep, pea metal, once again, it's a heat trap. So you sit your containers on top of um, the pea metal, plastic underneath, and you grow your containers in a very sheltered, uh, nice and warm environment. And the advantage of having them in containers, of course, is you can move them around. Um, You can take them out um, if necessary and and uh, give them some fresh air, whatever reason, mm. and you can put new ones in. Uh, they're mobile. Mm. Well, the other thing I got, and I hope I'm not winding everyone up talking about uh, myself and questioning you, but I'm hoping that some of this is useful and of interest. I got a whole lot of drying trays. I picked them up for next to nothing. And they were for drying tulip bulbs or keeping tulip bulbs or something like garlic. And so I'm going to grow a lot of seedlings in them. So that's been wonderful. And so I am I am taking everything that you say on board. But I had a thought, Wally, in the night. And I hope you won't fall off your chair laughing because I'm so stupid. Right? No. But I've got a lot of compost on the go. So once word got around that I was after some horse manure, I've been inundated with horse manure. And uh, I went and bought two big um, barley straw bales, heavy Mm -hmm. as hell. 
And I got them. The only trouble is they've got to wee midge in them, which bites you. And it, is, it gives me a very nasty rash. So I have to be very careful around it and wrap myself up. So I got that. And I'm making a lot of compost. And I couldn't believe it, Wally, because my little temperature thermometer turned up from China. And I tested it against my good thermometer. And it's not too bad. Uh, plus or minus four degrees sort of thing. I've got my I've got my uh, compost up to 50 to 60 degrees Celsius. Okay. Which I'm very excited about. And I sort of rush out there and put the thermometer in it. But I was thinking this. Why wouldn't I make a wee bin inside my greenhouse, make it like a bench, and put, I don't know, a couple of cubic meters of compost inside my glass house to keep it warm at night yep so you're talking about a raised garden basically yes what i'd do is i'd take these trays and make a box and fill it with compost and then i'd work on top of that and it would be giving off heat yes yes yep that's not uh, stupid no no um in actual fact it's a little trick we use in the beginning of the season when the soil is cold um, and the sun hasn't got to the point of actually bringing the soil temperature up to 10 degrees. So if we want to plant something and get it going better, we actually make a trench um, about a half spade depth or so, or spade depth. We go and mow the lawn and catch, take the clippings of the lawn and fill them into the trench and press them down, put some soil over the top, and then plant our seed or seedlings into that. Now, the heat from the decomposing grass underneath really warms up, and um, the seeds germinate and the plants grow, and by the time the plants get up growing, um, the roots are going down into all this food. It's, um, it's amazing, the, isn't it? Yeah. And, of course, one of the things that I've learned from your books and as you think about it, and as you look at a commercial market garden, you realise that, I think I'm right in this, that the soil is virtually sterile of microorganisms. Correct. And you notice in, um, as I've done this composting, it's just, you can, you know, you can see the worms, obviously, and the bugs. But, mm. of course, if that compost is turning over at 50 degrees Celsius, there's a heck of a lot of microbial activity in there, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And so when you look at a market garden done with machinery, fertilizers, the soil is just the nutrients that they put in it's not actually that complex of microorganisms like we've learned to love in our gut, uh, like we've learned, learned to love when we ferment food. And when you look at the soil, it's quite dead compared to, say, soil that's been composted. Right, yep. Of course, market gardeners did not used to be always like that. I'm going back 50, 60 years ago, and... I used to have a friend whose father was Chinese and he had a market garden just outside of, well, it was basically in Palmer's North. And what they used to use in those days was um, a lot of blood and bone. 
Um, they used to buy ton bags of blood and bone from the works, and it was good blood and bone in those days because it wasn't being side-dressed to use for animal food um, as it is these days. So you had very good stuff, and they would apply that to the ground along with any other animal manures that they could get hold of, and everything grew naturally. They had the soil was teeming with soil life. It was only through the advent of introduction of superphosphate, which is acidic in its nature, that um, that changed things. And then urea and nitrogen was applied to force plants to grow. So in a commercial growing situation these days, within a couple of seasons, Good soil has been turned into infertile soil, and it's only the side dressings of lots of uh, fertiliser that make the plants grow. And that basically makes unhealthy plants. And when you have unhealthy plants, the problem is in nature that nature's cleaners, which are the fungus diseases and the pests insects, they come along to destroy those weak plants because that's what their job is. But of course, the commercial grower, he's got a problem. He can't have his crop lost because he's got a lot of money invested. So then he can sell his sprays and starts chemically spraying the um, plants to prevent the fungus diseases and the insect pests. And that adds more chemicals to the soil. And whatever soil life was left is going to be knocked out by those chemicals as well. And then, unfortunately, when you come to eat that stuff, um, it's not that healthy after all. Well, I, I, um, I'm learning that, Wally. Thanks to you. Before, before we were talking, I had this. I'd built this um, rabbit-proof fence for my place, and I had, I threw a bit of that Bunnings cheap compost in a little box and threw some lettuces in, lettuce seed in, that I'd actually picked up from my mother. And I was shocked. I just threw them in. I was a bit like Jack and the Beanstalk. I just threw the beans, the seeds in and forgot about them. Blow me down. I have these wonderful lettuces that are growing in this compost. I can't believe how many weeks they've been, we've been eating them. Um, but what's ex what's amazed my wife and I is how long they keep just in the in the fridge compared to the ones you get in the shop. Yep. Yep. They're just so much healthier, right? And the taste, the taste, taste is superb. Yeah, my tomatoes were tasty. Well, they're going to get better because I'm putting, I'm putting the you know the proper stuff on them now too. They're getting them properly fertilized. By the way, I did the, I got the little um, pH strips, and uh, I did, I did it, did exactly like you said. I took a little bit of soil from around my garden, uh, put them in the water, and put my strips in. And the interestingly, the pH was six in my soil. Right. And I did my manure. Is it a surprise that that too was six? Right. Good. Excellent. Yep. And, and that's not bad, right? That's okay. No, that's that's a nice midterm. Yep. Um, what else can we be doing now, Wally? Okay. Now, some people uh, that have veggie gardens, um, the gardens, um, crops, if they haven't got winter crops in, well, from the summer, corn and pumpkins, those sort of things that they were growing, been harvested, and then the ground is bare. 
which is not a good thing to have. So what you do, you plant what we call is a green crop. A green crop is such things as lupin, etc. Seeds that you throw into the garden, uh, rake over, they germinate and they grow up um, to maybe about 50 centimetres high or whatever. And then later on, before they actually uh, flower and set seed, you cut them down at the base. In the old days, we used to dig them in, right? We would get the spade out and uh, we would just turn it over and dig them into the soil. Nowadays, we change to cutting them off more or less to ground level. Um, you could use a weed eater or maybe in some case a lawnmower, but a weed eater is ideal, or even a pair of hedge clippers go chop, 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 chop through, right? And you lay, lay the tops to lay on the soil, right? Then you could sprinkle over some um, garden lime and you could sprinkle over some blood and bone, uh, sheep manure pellets, bit of animal manure or whatever, and then you cover it over with purchased compost. Purchase compost because it's weed-free, right, rather than your own compost, which may contain weed seed. And then all that mass will decompose in the soil very quickly if you've got good soil life. Microbes will be acting on it. And you've got a wonderful area for planting up your um, plants in the spring. My goodness, uh... You're on. Uh, you're listening to Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We're talking to Wally Richards. We're talking gardening. You can uh, ring Wally uh, and talk to his people. Oh uh, eight hundred four double six four six four. Talking to his people was a joke. Uh, you'll be talking to Wally. You can email Wally at uh, WallyJR as in the show at GardenNews1n.co.nz. Uh, just get me on those planting the lupins. You plant the lupins on a bare piece of ground now you put the seeds in just sprinkle them and then you rake it so the seeds are covered maybe give it a bit of water and then they grow and how high do they grow wally um the the key to it it doesn't matter so much how high they grow but the story is once they start to flower they're going to set seed and then okay. they would become a weed themselves because okay. you have Hundreds and hundreds of seeds. Uh, it's not only lupin. There's a whole range of things. Mustard. It could be oats, mustard, etc. And ideally, each type of plant has its own attributes. So rather than just planting, say, mustard or oats or whatever, a whole mix. Um, I saw that, Bunnings. I saw Bunnings had a. I got a packet, and it was already mixed. Yep. Ah, that's the logic of that. Okay, got that. So I've spread of that, and it's growing, and it grows over winter. Yeah, it'll get started off now, and um, because they're hardy plants, they will grow slowly through the winter time, and then basically as we start to go into the spring and you want to start to use the garden for maybe planting your tomatoes or whatever, lettuces, salad crops, uh, that's about the time you would cut them down and throw in some um, lime and a bit of uh, manure, um, blood and bone. Blood and bone is still good value. Yep. 
cover it over with uh, just probably a, an inch or so of um, compost, and then you can plant straight into it. No worries. So I don't have to uh, – I could cut them – in the morning and plant in the afternoon, or do I need yep. to leave it a while? No, oh, because wow. you, you've got that compost layer got over it. the top, which is going to plant your seeds or seedlings into it. And, it. and as we said before, if you can, it's far better to plant seed than to plant plants, Yes, right? Because the seed will go down with its roots and form a very good root structure, which means your plant will be that much better off as a result. Okay. Now, I don't know. I always worry that you're going to laugh at me, Wally, but you're probably too kind to. But listeners will laugh at me as I blunder my way through my garden. Um, I planted brassica. Mm-hmm. Uh, I planted, sorry, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, and cabbage in a oh. nice line. And I have also planted, I think, onion and something else. It'll come to me. But there's, but the cabbage and the collie and the broccoli are up about oh nearly an inch, right? Right. But, um, I planted them a bit thick, so I'm going to have to go through and thin them. Right. I can't bear to throw little seedlings away. What should I do? Okay, so you're going to have to take the seedlings out and they'll be close to each other, correct? Yep. Because you planted um, the seeds too thickly. Um, So the best thing to do would be to really wet the soil down. So put the sprinkler on or give it a good watering. That means if you're going to pull uh, the seedlings out that you don't want, that they'll slide out of the wet soil much easier. If the soil is dry, you'll break the roots for sure. Okay, You'll do some root damage, but um, generally speaking, most of the seedlings that you take out will be um, have good roots still. Now, if you want to plant more later on, what you could do is you could make them into a cluster or bundle together and put them back in the soil as a bunch of seedlings, right? Yeah. The alternative to that, of course, is to give them away. Oh, of course. So if you've got friends or neighbours and so forth, you can say, right, I had a friend once, Wally. Yeah, I had one once. I got rid of them. <laughs> they got rid of me. <laughs> oh, they got rid of me. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I apologise. But um, you can give them away. But when I dig them up, though, Wally, why wouldn't I take a big clump of soil with them? Well, um, once again, if, if you've sprinkled them in a row and your cabbages or brassicas should ideally be in let me get my little ruler out that shows you what the metrics are. They, they probably want to be about 20 centimetres apart. Okay. Right? They can be more than that, but about 20 centimetres is not too bad. Um, so all the ones in between the 20 centimetres, you could uh, lift up uh, with a, a little hand fork yeah. and make sure the soil's wet uh, and they'll lift up quite nicely. 
And then at the 20 centimetre points, da-da-da, you would uh, pull out the ones around it. And just throw them away, maybe. And throw them away or whatever you want to do with them. Yeah. Could I put them in, the ones that I pick up, is it worth putting them in my tunnel house? Oh, yeah. Yeah, by all means. Um, If you're growing, well, once again, it depends what you're going to do, whether you're growing in the soil or you're going to grow in containers. Um, If you're growing into containers, um, what we used to do, uh, see, say, for instance, you've got uh, 50 cabbages all mature about the same time. Unless you're going to pickle them or do something with them, you've got cabbages you're going to have to give away. So if we buy a punnet um, of cabbages and there's like 30 plants in the punnet and we only want to plant, say, 10 of them, what we do is we take the other um, 20 and we put them close together like they were in the punnet and put heal them into the soil. That means you make a hole and you put them in there and, and because they're close to each other, they grow a little bit, but not much. Then later on, say two or three weeks later, we can lift that clump up and then into a bucket of water to separate out the ones we want. So we might take another 10 of that 30 and we plant them out in a separate row and we once again clump it the balance of them, and back in the soil. Wow. So instead of wasting them, um, we hold them by planting them as a clump. Very clever, very clever. If if you're growing your plants in a container in the tunnel house, how much soil do you need underneath them? Depends a little bit on the plants you're planting, but the equivalent of about a 20-centimetre pot is usually ample for a cabbage or lettuce okay. or whatever, right? One of the things I like to do, you know, the um, polystyrene trays that um, you see uh, fish are being transported in to supermarkets, yes. et cetera? Yes. Now, polystyrene trays make ideal planters, so if you go to the supermarket and fish department or to a fish wholesaler, quite often they will either give them away or uh, with fish wholesalers you might charge you a dollar um, for a polystyrene tra- tray, right? Now, once you've got your tray, um, you can fill that up with compost and other goodies, and you it's surprising how much you can ideally plant in there. You could, say, plant four brassicas, six lettuces, yeah. um, and, and each one would still have sufficient room. You put compost and, and other goodies uh, into that. For drainage, the best drainage is not holes in the bottom, but holes in the side. So just up from the base of it, you drill your holes uh, on the sides and the ends, um, and that means there's a, a certain amount of moisture that's retained at the base before it dries out. Surplus water will go out through the drainage holes on the side. Wow, it's amazing stuff, isn't it, Wally? It is. Uh, do you know, I 
Um, I have never gardened in my life. Probably when I was a little boy, I few, threw a few seeds and lettuces in the garden as you did at primary school. My mum and dad were absolutely fanatical gardeners, and I never was interested. I don't know why. It just didn't interest me. And I'd sort of help them, but it was always reluctant. I never bothered to learn anything. And now that I've, with your help, got gardening, I almost don't care about the plants at the end of it in a funny way because I am finding it so, I don't know what, maybe therapeutic, maybe um, it is something very easing of the mind. Does that make sense? I find it a very, very pleasant experience i go and do two or three hours in the garden because i'm setting it all up so there's quite a bit to do and it's feels very mind healthy (laughs) i don't know quite how to explain that but you know how you can end up um stressing about stuff you read like even i don't even bother with the news but you know you can end up reading the news and getting all stressed at the madness that people are up to in the world but you go out into the garden and it just feels real and very pleasant and of course ultimately productive because you're going to get these veggies but the process itself i'm not sitting there thinking i'm doing this gardening it's a bit of a fag um it's out here i'm getting sweaty and it's dirty and oh well i'm only doing this because at the end of it i'll get a veggie or two no no it's actually the process is so enjoyable Mm, yep yep and plants has have an interaction with people um so by going out even if you're stressed and you're uptight and so forth within a few minutes the tension disappears that's right Uh, that's what i'm finding and, and the plants actually do that for you. Um, there's a, a communication. You've heard the old story about the guy um, who's got, say, a rubber tree plant in his house, right? No, no. A- and they connect up um, like a lie detector to it to measure the electrical uh, resistance in the plant, right? And then that person goes 100 miles away and cuts his finger, the plant has an immediate reaction at that same instant because the plant is in contact with the owner who the plant is dependent upon that person to water and feed it and give it ample light for it to grow. So the plant is vulnerable when it's in a container inside the house. And if something happens to the person that looks after it, it has a nervous reaction Mm. and hence it's displayed by a voltage change in a meter. Well, um, I can't tell you how much it has been because I suffered through that. I've never suffered in my life, but through that whole COVID experience and that lockdown and um, stand on the circle, stay three meters away from everyone, um, don't move, or... um, yellow tape around the kids' swings and slides at the park, um, mask up. That stuff, that actually drove me insane because Mm. I thought it was so wicked to do that to everyone and to society. And I couldn't understand why 
other people didn't seem to see that it was wicked. I just felt so lonely and so miserable. And I'll never forget standing outside the countdown supermarket in the rain in Christchurch on my little spot while someone's there letting someone would go out and then someone could go in, right? Mm. And you had to shop on your own. And in front of me is this poor young mum with a baby and a toddler standing outside on her spot, waiting to go into a supermarket and apologizing to everyone because she had her kids with her. And she said, I can't leave them at home and I can't leave them in the car because you're only allowed, you know, the government had literally said you can only go into the supermarket one person at a time. And she was out in the cold, Wally. Anyway, the point of all of this is, I, I think I got very sick um, through all of this because it was so horrible to me, uh, so disgusting. And meeting Voices for Freedom and then meeting other people that thought like me uh, helped enormously. I think it almost saved me. Not saved me in the sense that I'd do any harm to myself, but it just saved me in the sense that, oh, my goodness, going to the protest saved me. You know, the, I'm not alone. But then the real thing that saved me is the gardening. Because it's just it soothed it soothed my jagged soul from the wickedness. I've never seen anything. I've never described anything as wicked before. But to me, that was so wicked. It was so wrong. It was, it was so just evil or something. It just to do that to people, I couldn't believe it. Everywhere you looked, and people dying alone because their husband or their wife of 50 years couldn't be with them, because why? Anyway, I've got right off the topic, but what I'm saying is, is I can't believe anyone anyone that's got a bit of time and you don't need, I've worked out, you don't need much space, just even having a rubber plant. <laughs> it's, it's amazingly soothing for the soul. Oh, it is, yes. And interestingly enough, during COVID times, the uh, popularity of houseplants escalated up like you would not believe. Um, it, it was amazing the amount of people that wanted to be associated with plants uh, during those times. They were locked in their houses virtually. Um, it was criminal, that's for sure. And, and now we, on reflection, we look back and the whole thing was a waste of time. Total, waste of time. absolute waste of time. And I still, when I go to the supermarket and I get to get out of my vehicle, I, I, I have a sigh of relief. I don't have to put a bloody mask on. Yeah. 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 I got fish. I got some fish for the kids, uh, tropical fish, just before the lockdown. I didn't know the lockdown was coming. It's just they wanted the pets. And um, I felt that, I'd end up looking after the pet. And so I said, well, let's try fish. And so I got some tropical fish and I set it all up. Um, and then the lockdown hit and I had to go and get some fish supplies because there's a whole lot of things you have to do with fish. I enjoyed it immensely, but I went to that, what's it called? Pets are us or whatever it is, that pet shop. And I had to text them, ring them or whatever. And then I had to turn up outside their shop they were an essential service <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's hard to explain now isn't it 
If someone, if, you know, in 50 years' time, how could you explain this? A pet shop was a, a, an essential service. They were allowed to open, and it was a cold, wet, miserable Christchurch day, and I turned up in my car outside the pet shop, and then they'd given me a text number, and then I had to text them, and but they insisted and repeatedly that I had to stay in my car, right? Yeah. And this young boy came scurrying out and he did it in a sequence because there were three or four cars waiting. So they could only do one customer at a time. And he'd come running out of the door, scared with a mask on, place a um, fish food (laughs) on a pallet and then rush inside. And then he'd text you and say, it was okay now to go and get your fish food but only one person could get out of the car at a time. And I was watching this performance and they're all masked up. And I'm thinking, this is the very definition of insanity. Yeah. And um, it so deeply affected me because I always thought we lived in a sensible world. And I tell you how deeply it affected me. I spent my whole life working on what government should do for the best of people, you know, what, 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 what's a thing that government should do to make people better off, you know, lower taxes, put taxes up, this regulation, that regulation, that was my whole thing. And you'd look at the options and you'd try and work out what was best to do. And you'd have a debate and an argument about it. And that's how I thought politics and government worked. And it never, it never entered my head, Wally, that there would be a wicked thing to do and the right thing to do, right? It was always about we've got to make people better off and it's just choosing the um, the best option. And I looked at this and thought this isn't about what's the best option. This is wicked, wicked to kids, wicked to our old people. Wicked, and it had never entered my mind before, and that so affected me. It so affected me so deeply inside that I couldn't believe that we could do that to each other. Right. Yep. For sure. And I get into my compost, and those microorganisms and that fungus, and then generating that heat, and plants growing. And it literally soothes my ravaged soul from that period. Because you're bringing life force. I guess. Yeah. I guess. I guess. I guess that is it. And I mean, uh, I got three little kids and they're doing well, but I didn't even feel as though I could look after my kids in this period because the forces that you felt up against, you know, you take them to the park and you're only allowed to be there for an hour kicking a ball around or something. I could I could take them outside for an hour and then the neighbors would start looking at you sideways. And my little boy, he was, I don't know, five or six, and he went running after a soccer ball and he went too close to a lady who was out who was out walking her dog. And she went off her head at this little boy because he'd got within three meters or whatever the distance was. And she started to um she was terrified, Wally. Yeah. She was terrified of a little boy running past her at the park. 
the the thing, of course, was through the propaganda on TV, etc., people dropping dead on the street, etc., yeah. etc., and suddenly people felt vulnerable. Uh, they could die, my God, and they weren't ready. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. <laughs> and and, and they put the fear of bejesus up there, my God. Um, How come you didn't get scared by it, Wally? Uh, I, I realised at the beginning we're talking about a cold, period. Yeah. yeah. Okay, it was man-made. It was a virus that man created, and they've basically proved that now, released it um, for evil purposes, once again, control, control. Um, our lovely Prime Minister promised Bill Gates that she would make all the population have a vaccination, which he was getting money for, etc. You know, all these things happen. Um, unfortunately, I still see people, not many, with masks on yeah. now and, and because they're still worried that they're going to get co uh, this coronavirus, which I never vaccinated. Um uh -huh. I got the, the cold. Yeah. It was a bad one. Um, it certainly um, knocked me around for a couple of weeks or so. Um, and the repercussions afterwards, like, um, interesting enough, I said to my doctor, um, at the same time as having coronavirus, I also got angina. Right, mm -hmm. and I'd had angina years ago because of a heart condition, and, and that had all been fixed. And my doctor said, "That's interesting." He said, um, "When people have had coronavirus, even old injuries, like they might have broken their leg years ago, um, it's all healed, but they play up again." He said, "It's it's old things that you've had in the past come back and hit you." And cause you a bit of a problem. Interesting, because people yeah. have had cancers return too, haven't they? And they return quite yeah. aggressively. And that's also happened with the vaccine. I understand. Oh yes, even worse. Yeah. Now, um, so Wally, this this gardening has been wonderful for me, and having you on the show, and I, I get so much out of it, and I hope listeners do too. And I hope they forgive me for getting excited and talking a little too much. But uh, you're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We're talking real gardening with Wally Richards. Uh, you can give him a call, 0800 466 464. He'll answer any problems that you've got. He's a, a fund of information. He does like you calling because then he can be like your doctor or your motor mechanic because he can say, um, tell me what was happening just before <laughs> just before you got this. Uh, and you can also email him at wallyjr at gardennews.co.nz, but one N in Garden News. Uh, Wally, I'm on your email list, which I love. You write a right. great little reminder. Is it? It's each week, right? I seem to be getting it. Yeah, every week we and write an article. It's fabulous, Wally. Thank you for that. And people can go on your webpage and sign up. Now, in the in the one you sent out this week, you had just this marvellous idea for anyone that wants to make a raised garden. Mm, cheaply. And cheaply and easily. Are you able to explain that on the radio for us? Right. Okay. 
what you need is 1.8 meter roofing iron, galvanized roofing iron, right? Brand new, ideally, rather than the old stuff. Um, the old stuff is cheaper, but it's surprising. It's not very expensive um, to get like 1.8 meter lengths of roofing iron. You also have your square, um, I think they're 100 by 100 fence posts. And if you take the the width of the iron, uh, is a certain, I, I can't remember what it is, but there is um, fence posts cut in half is exactly that amount of one sheet width. So ideally um, what you do is you get three sheets of roofing iron, 1.8 metres long. You get two of these fence posts and you cut them in half so they're exactly the same height as the width of the iron, right? Now, the fence posts are tantalised and there's horrible chemicals in there to stop them from rotting. So the problem is you don't want to have that chemical leaching into your food crops because they'll be taken up and then you'll eat them yourself. So you get the acrylic paint out after you've cut them and you give them two coats of acrylic all over, right? That seals in the chemicals. Then it's very simply you lay two of the posts down, you put your corrugated sheet of iron over them um, and you screw them on and then you do that twice with two 1.8 sheets of iron and then the third sheet, you cut exactly in half, right? So it's going to be um, 90 centimetres long, 1.8, half of that, yeah, 90 centimetres. And that goes on the ends. So you've suddenly got yourself a box about waist high. Ideally, you don't put that on soil. Instead, you put it on a concrete pad or on concrete because when you put all the goodies into that, any plants nearby will recognise there's a whole lot of good stuff over there and they'll send uh, roots over, which will fill the whole thing with roots and it'll be useless after one season. So ideally, you sit it on a concrete pad and you sit it, you, you don't dig it in. Okay, would a weed mat work or would that not last? Um, you really need a concrete pad. Okay. It only has to be uh, an inch or two thick okay. because you're not going to walk on it or anything. So it doesn't have to be very thick, um, but that will stop any invading roots. Then you treat it like a compost bin. You get all your tricks and clippings and so forth, um, lawn clippings, and you throw that into the base of it, right? And you start building it up, building it up with... Um, all organic material, till uh, you get to about half full, right? So it's just as like a big compost bin. All your kitchen scraps can go in there, anything at all, right? Then at that point you would put um, some purchased compost over the top of that, just a layer, and then on top of that you would put some things such as Sheep manure pellets, horse manure, um, blood and bone, anything natural like that. And then 
you'd put another layer of compost. But you're leaving a gap between the top of the soil and the top of the rot stain of about 20 centimetres. Yeah. Right? So you're about two-thirds full thereabouts. Now, you place the bin, ideally, so one long side is facing as near as possible to the north. So it's going to get maximum sunlight into it. That will heat up the contents. And as a result of that being about 20 centimetres from the top, that means wind will pass over. So your seedlings that you plant inside of it are actually in a uh, microclimate. They're not buffered by the wind. And they've got the warmth coming up for their feet. They've got the heat coming from the sun. And I tell you what, the first one I ever did, I planted some small seedlings of silver beet into it, and I, it was approximately two to three weeks later I'm harvesting. No. It was so quick. I was amazed. Um, they, they just grew like wildfire. Um, when I say harvest, I'm taking the outer leaves because they're big enough to take and, and left the plants uh, to produce more leaves, of course. But, yeah, it was really incredible. And it was the heat factor along with the protection from wind um, by wind passing over the top. The other beauty of it, too, is with butterflies or cats or any problems like that, it's easy enough to get a bit of netting, put a nail in each of the um, corner posts and, and stretch some netting across, and the nails hold it secure. Mm. So um, that keeps everything off. And if it's bird netting, it'll keep the birds off. Um, if it's, uh, well, wire netting is the best, or that plastic netting, um, which stops the cats and birds from getting into it and upsetting the apple cart. And, of course, you can just peel it back because it's just held in place by those uh, four nails. Okay, let me let me cover it off. Um, so tell me where I've gone wrong. Ideally, you want a one-inch concrete pad down. You get three 1.8 uh, corrugated iron sheets mm -hmm. uh, that are 900 wide. So they're twice as long as they are wide. You cut one sheet in half, and so standing on its edge, uh, that um, is the width. You then get two 1.8-metre fence posts, 100 by 100, uh, tantalised. Cut them in half, so you've got four posts now, but they're 900. They could, I guess they could be a little bit smaller. And then you paint them, and you paint them with an acrylic twice so you don't leach out the arsenic or whatever it is they use to treat uh, wood these days. And then you screw your corrugated iron at the edge, two posts at each edge of the long sheets. Am I getting it? Right, yep. Then you sit them up and you take your half sheet and you screw them in so you've got the ends of a box. And then you sit your box on the concrete. Mm -hmm. yeah? Right. Now, you've got a, a, a box that's 
900. That's actually the height of a table, I think. Mm-hmm. And then you throw all your composty things in there. Right. When you get it half full, run me past that. You got that. You got it half full. Then what do I do, Wally? Right. Then over the top of that, um, actually a good thing to put over that if you've got cardboard or newspaper and so forth because that's all good uh, compost material and any weeds or whatever that may be in the stuff that you're thrown in, like lawn clippings, if the lawn or grass is in seed, of course, those seeds will be transferred into that and could cause uh, a weeding problem later. Cardboard, newspaper, over the top of that. Then on top of that, you would put some food, such as um, any animal manure, chook manure, horse manure, um, that sort of thing, blood and bone, sheep manure pellets, all of that, and then more compost over the top of that, taking it up to about two-thirds full in all, leaving a gap at the top of about 20 centimetres. For... 200 mil. So that's, 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 I've got that now. So it's like 450 of compost, put your cardboard down, then you put your food down. And you're going up to say 700, so you've got about 250 of food. I guess I might have done my arithmetic wrong. I got that. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Actually, I wrote an article which you've seen, obviously, yes. and I also included a picture of one in that article. So if anybody emails me at my email address and says, Can I have that article? I describe it um, in writing, how to do it. Um, and yeah. Well, I didn't get the picture. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no. Well, don't be sorry, but um, I might go back. It might have been. A, I might. I might have done it wrong because I looked at it on my phone because I was reading it and I was trying to imagine it in my head, and I thought, I wonder why Wally didn't send a picture because that would have been handy because I was I was reading it and I was trying to picture it in my mind. Um, I'll go back and double check, but that is that was an amazing tip to me. Presumably, over time it settles, Wally. Uh, yeah, because um, once you've had a crop in there and the crop's finished, harvested, then you're going to put some more goodies in. Um, and some of the things I recommend is like ocean solids, uh, which for the minerals from the ocean, some unlocking your soil, uh, which is minerals from rock. Uh, dust and then your animal manures, etc. A, a bit more fresh compost over the top, purchase compost, and then plant it again. Another aspect with it too is if you've got the room and you want to have a bigger one, you can simply take one end sheet off and get another two sheets of uh, iron, another uh, two posts. And you can extend it out by another 1.8 metres. Mm. And the end that you took off will become the new end down the other part. So you can start filling that up. And then you've got 3.6 metre raised mm. garden. Um, and you're not bending over doing your weeding and looking after your plants or harvesting them. No, it's nice height. Plants grow fast. Um, and like I said before, it's easy enough to put bird netting or netting over to protect 
the plants from butterflies or whatever. If you had no big plants around it, I'm thinking of myself, like it's in my garden, there's nothing big around that. Um, would I need the concrete pad? Um, a, a tree. No trees, nothing. Yeah, if, the, if it was bare land, like you're in a paddock, yeah, and there's no vines, no nothing no. anywhere near, um, yeah, you could have it straight on the soil. Right, because the concrete pad, I don't want to be fluffing around, A, eh? because I'm not, I'm going to have, probably have to shift everything at some stage. What a marvelous source of information. Oh, okay, okay. There's, a, there's an alternative. If yep. you don't want to put the concrete pad there and there happens to be a tree 10 meters away, yep. for instance, so once you sit it on the ground, you dig a trench around it about a spade depth. So there's going to be a trench um, about the width of a spade all around it. Yeah. Roots coming across will not go through air. Right? Ah. So you could have that trench there. And um, also if it's in the middle of a lawn, that means you've got a mowing strip sort of thing. So you're not m trying to mow right against the iron. Um, instead, you're mowing um, to the edge of that strip, trench. Well, you're amazing, Wally Richards. Um, we're going to have you on uh, again, and you can give us an update in a couple of weeks about where to go. It's Wally Richards. Wally, thank you so much for your knowledge and your experience and for being able to share it with me and listeners. I Look, if they get a fraction out of it, what I get out of it, um, we'll all be well pleased. You're wonderful. Um, and you're able to explain it uh, so extremely well. So thank you for that. It's Wally Richards. You can get a hold of Wally on 0800 466 464 uh, or email them, wallyjr at gardennews.co.nz. How do they get on your emailing list, Wally? Yeah, if they email me at the wallyjr um, at gardennews.co.nz, um, they just send me an email and say, would you put me on your weekly list? I put them onto the list. I send them uh, the latest one and uh, acknowledge them that they have uh, been put on the list and you've got it and it's all go from there. Marvellous, marvellous stuff, Wally, and you've got your books. Thank you so much, Wally. Uh, you're listening with Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. It's Reality Check Radio. Uh, we've had a tour of the force once again with Wally Richards. I'll be waiting for the emails to come in complaining that I talk too much and I'm trying to cut it down. I'm trying to cut it down, but I just get so excited. And I, we've got a bit diverted onto COVID too and the lockdowns and the madness, but it's something about gardening that I never knew that it's soothing. Therapeutical. Therapeutical. It's like sitting on a beach and just hearing the waves and, and the sun on your back uh, or sitting in front on a cold winter's night and a beautiful log fire going. It's just a, a wonderful regenerative feeling for your mind and your body. So thank you, Wally. Stay tuned. Keep listening. Uh, this is Reality Check Radio. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's uh, 
We'll talk with Rodney Hyde. Uh, please contact us. You can email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio or as far as a text, uh, 2057. Uh, that's the number to text to and include your message. It'll be lovely to hear from you. Things that upset me, I guess I'm like anyone else in this regard, nothing special, but I was reflecting on why I feel strongly about this topic. And I've always been very weary of groupthink, of fads, of crowds, of a mob, of everyone saying this is a good thing. And I've always been weary of that and wanted to know, well, why do you think this is a good thing? And then they, just it is. And hence my always concern about lockdowns and mandates and getting the jab because it was just a good thing and everyone had to do it. And so it makes me very weary uh, when I see that. The second thing that upsets me terribly is uh, bullying. Um, I don't like bullies. Uh, I've never liked bullies. I've never understood it. And it's why I always struggle with the concept of government because everything it does is about bullying. I'm not talking about, you know, people bullying you, but it's the idea, do this or else, you know, pay your tax money or else, follow this rule or else. And it's how government runs. It uses the power of the police and the power of our justice system to make you do things. And if you don't do it, you'll get into trouble. And so it becomes a bully. And of course, as government grows, uh, politicians become bullying because they can also withhold money from projects and firms. And we've really seen this in recent years where politicians have power over doctors, over the media, over everyone, because to stand up against them is to risk your funding and your job. So I don't like bullying. And I love the innocence of children. I think there's nothing more beautiful than children. And they're such a delight and they're so wonderful, not just my children, but all children. And we all feel that, don't we? Because they're so sweet. And I hate anything that threatens that innocence. And I work very hard to try and keep my children children so they can grow up at their own pace. I don't like this modern world that is trying to grow up our kids at a very young age. Oh, and there's one other thing that irritates me, and that's when we take a good cause, advocate for it, and always turn it on its head. And in my time in Parliament, I came to realise that that was almost all of politics, that it was forever taking a good purpose and then doing something untoward with it. Oh, so for example, um, oh, here's one that springs to mind. We want to stop child abuse. Therefore, we're going to pass anti-smacking legislation. Now, they didn't equate, you know, 
smacking a child uh, is not child abuse, uh, and every parent knows that. And so we had this um, heavy-duty legislation that you couldn't smack a little toddler, um, and that was designed to stop child abuse. And it upset me for a whole lot of reasons. First up, it wasn't actually dealing with child abuse. Um, second of all, it was criminalizing potentially good parents. And third, it was removing sort of uh, your ability to parent and giving that to the state so that somehow my mother, who regularly smacked me, um, was a bad woman committing child abuse. I just, it was to me wrong. I also found that in the environmental movement, when I was a very committed environmentalist, I cared about the the environment. And I realized that the people that I were following didn't, that to them, the environmental movement was a means to an end. Time and time again, you see this in politics. Oh, you know, what about the workers? We're going to help the workers. We'll do this for the workers. And you know, you know that the policies that are being advocated are always about powering up the union bosses or the politicians, and the workers don't benefit at all. Or welfare. Oh, we'll have welfare and help the poor people. And what happens? We've got more people than ever. It's it's not about the thing. And so that brings me to the 19th of May, which is going to be again this year, Pink Shirt Day. And on the face of it, I should love it because it's against bullying. But here's my experience because my kids come home from school and they say, oh, it's Pink Shirt Day. Oh, what does that mean? Oh, well, we've got to wear a pink shirt and um, take gold coins as a donation. Oh, why? Oh, well, everyone's doing it. The whole school's doing it. All our mates are doing it. We do. It. We all dress up, and it's fun. So I immediately mm, get a bit of worried. What, what do you? What does it mean? What is it for? So I asked my kids some more. And bear in mind, a year ago, they were what the two oldest, uh, nine and eleven. Oh well, it's to stop those children being bullied who, you know, are boys but really are girls. And the other one pipes up, yeah, or they could be girls and are really boys. And I stop because I don't accept that as true. I think you're born a boy and you're born a girl, full stop. But my kids think, or did, that you could change. It was sort of fluid that you're, you might have XX chromosome in every cell of your body, but really be a boy or have an XY chromosome in every cell, chromosomes in every cell of your body, but really be a girl and that it was fluid and that you could choose. So I found that a little upsetting. And I thought, is this really about bullying or is it about sort of upsetting kids by normalizing? And everywhere I look, it's being normalized for kids. Look, I uh, Georgina Byer was a very dear friend of mine. 
in many ways. We danced together a lot. And I also used to attend monthly meetings of transgender people in Auckland, maybe gone three or four times. And I had huge empathy and sympathy for them. Total. Because I'm a live and let live sort of person. But I don't like the innocence of children being sexualized. I don't like children being confused in this way that they can choose to be a boy or girl. No, they can't. And I had a wonderful email from a transgender person who said, look, I'd love to be a woman, but I'm not. I live as a woman, but I'm not a woman. I understand that to my sadness that I'm not. But our kids are being taught that they can choose to be one. So I said to my kids, I don't know about this because you're just going along with the crowd. And you know what they said? This is a year ago when they were 11 and 10. Well, if we don't, Dad, we'll be picked on for being transphobic. So right there is the bullying. <laughs> You've got to do pink shirt day or you'll get bullied for not partaking in this sort of group thing. And so I began to get quite worried about that for all those reasons, for the group think, for the bullying, by the loss of innocence of children, by normalizing the idea, by even talking about sexuality at this young age. My kids by 10 knew all about all the different genders. My goodness, they were taught that at school. At 10. So the next thing that happens, of course, is I get upset by the Posey Parker, uh, Kelly J, with women wanting to speak and protect themselves in the changing rooms, protect their sport, which I 100% support because anything else is dangerous and bullying. I don't believe that men can declare themselves a, a woman and just barge into a woman's changing room or barge into a woman's or a girl's sports. That's wrong. And what did we see? We saw this extraordinary whipping up from politicians, from the media, from activists, trans activists, that Kelly J was some sort of white supremacist, fascist, horrible woman who was anti-trans, anti-people. She wasn't. No one's saying that you, you can't, as an adult, choose to live as you choose. But you can't, as an adult, choose to be a woman and barge into a woman's changing room. Or be a boy and charge into a girl's changing room. Shouldn't be allowed. So that's what's at stake. And what happened? Violence erupted. So this very protest, which was to let women speak, she wasn't allowed to speak. The woman who had turned up to speak weren't allowed to speak. 
And one of the chief activists and instigators of violence against women was a person called, who I'd never heard of before, called Chanel Lau. And as a result of his and others' instigations, a 70-year-old woman who came to speak was repeatedly punched in the face by a thug and had her eye socket fractured. And this Chanel Lal has form because I don't know what pronoun I'm supposed to use. They're all over Twitter abusing people in the foulest of language for disagreeing with them. Now get this. On Pink Shirt Day, he, she, they is one of the faces of this anti-bullying crusade. What? How can that possibly be? How can you be promoting an avowed, documented, very clear bully with anti-bullying? It doesn't compute. And so for all these reasons, I'm troubled by Pink Shirt Day. And I thought, well, I know what. I will invite the Pink Shirt Day people on the show. And I saw that it was supported by the Mental Health Foundation. And again, I've got a huge amount of time for the Mental Health Foundation because they help people who are having trouble. So I support the Mental Health Foundation. But I wanted them to explain to me how getting behind this pink shirt day was a good idea. And I particularly worried about the mental health of the kids that I see. And I see a lot of these young kids who are literally suffering depression on the scale of what you'd call a pandemic. And it's not surprising in so many ways, not just uh, the idea that they could be gender fluid, but the whole catastrophization of life, oh, this is going to be a catastrophe, climate change and climate change. But I was focusing particularly on Pink Shirt Day, and I saw that the Mental Health Foundation sponsor it, and it's a big part of what they do. And I saw that there was a contact, and it was Mark Wilson. And I thought, oh, I know Mark Wilson. He used to be a producer at Radio Live. And when I was a politician, I would often deal with him because I'd be going on the show to be interviewed. And also I worked there when I stopped being a politician. So I fired off a note to Mark and to invite him on. And I wanted to be clear because I don't believe in tricking people to come on the show. I said, hi, Mark. I'm a host on Reality Check Radio. I would value an opportunity to interview you about the purpose of the Pink Shirt Day, especially in schools. To be clear, my concern is the effect on children's mental health of the present day constant discussion that they may not be boys or girls. Pink Shirt Day reinforces this. My kids get a lot of it, thanking you, Rodney Hyde. So it's very clear. I wanted them to come on our show for our listeners to talk about Pink Shirt Day, with my particular concern being that 
this constant discussion of gender fluidity in of itself could be affecting the mental health of kids, which I think is a reasonable request because they're asking for our money and donations to run the show and wanting us to partake of Pink Shirt Day. And they're trying to garner publicity. Well, I got this note back. Hi, Rodney. Sorry, but no one is available for an interview. Mark. So there's no interest in coming on and explaining. I would not be rude. I just, I'm never a rude person, I believe. I I don't like it. If I am rude, I'm making a mistake. So no one is available for an interview. So I then looked up the Mental uh, Mental Health Foundation. They have 35 staff. Let me read you that they have communication staff. Let me read you the roles. Mark Wilson, communications and marketing team lead. Amanda Wickman, communities and marketing senior lead. Celine Kao, communications and marketing officer. Danielle Whitburn, communications and marketing team. Kirsty Thomas, senior communications and marketing officer. Renee Fox, communications and marketing specialist. Rochelle Gillespie, team lead, communications and marketing. Stephanie Brown, marketing and communications project lead. Tahara Babak, senior communications and marketing office. The Mental Health Foundation have nine people doing full-time communications out of a staff of 35. But no one is available for an interview. I guess that's because the interview was simply going to ask the question of, is this having an effect counter to what is being proposed? That is to say, to stop bullying and to improve kids' mental health. That's not an out-of-order question. And it's not like Mark Wilson doesn't know me. He's got me on shows many times. But no, nine staff wouldn't turn up. No transparency. I wrote back to Mark and I said, I'm very sorry to hear that. I will explain on my show that I invited you on, that you refused, and suggest to listeners they do not partake of Pink Shirt Day or donate because of your lack of transparency and the bullying that occurs behind Pink Shirt Day. I will suggest that your no-show highlights the problem behind your promotion. Sincerely, Rodney. And doesn't it? How can you have a promotion and not promote it? an opportunity to come on the show and discuss it. I'm sad about that, actually, because I would have liked to have learned the thinking behind it. But I also wonder about a promotion that isn't prepared to take questions. And it's not as though we're dealing with a person who is what would I say, not experienced with the media. 
Like the media are very good at picking on some person who has no experience of being on TV or on the radio and sticking a microphone in their face and hounding them down the street. I would never do that. Because I know what it feels like. It's bullying. But when you're doing a promotion and you're in media communications and there are nine of you for a small organization, aren't you sort of duty-bound or honor-bound to come on and do your promotion? And yes, take some tough questions. And yes, answer them. And let the people decide. Or are we in a world now where professional people and organizations only talk to people that will ask the right questions, have the right attitude? And that's why, listeners, you listen to Reality Check Radio. That's why the legacy media is dying on a stick. That's why we have Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Thank you for listening. Text us, 2057. Email us, inbox at realitycheck.radio. And thank you for listening. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Oh, that's a show. That's a wrap. It's Real Talk Reality. Real, oh, Real Talk Reality. Talk about getting that mixed up. It's Reality Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. I loved it. If you've got suggestions for what we can do and how we can do it better, be sure to text us in at 2057. Text us or email us in book, inbox at realitycheck.radio. We've had Wally Richards on discussing uh, gardening, uh, getting your plants. I didn't know this. Hardened up for winter. Uh, looking after your glass house, composting, all the things that you need to be doing. And how proud was I when I was interviewing Wally Richards that I knew what the root zone was. Didn't know that when I started, before I met Wally. And also Bob McCroskey talking about Pink Shirt Day and what it means and what what side you're on. I don't mind. Uh, people should be free to choose. Uh engage in any campaign they like. Uh, but Bob's right. I think the campaign has shot themselves in the foot when they have Chanel Lau as one of the front people advocating anti-bullying when this is a man that's called for violence uh, to shut down Posse Parker and instigated violence, which saw a 70-year-old woman repeatedly punched in the face with her eye socket fractured. Uh, that doesn't compute for me. I'm sorry, uh, I can't support something which is so hypocritical and has such a double standard. And plus, that's probably the easy reason I don't support it. I don't support it either for the under underground or undercurrent of the day, of the movement, because I would get right behind anti-bullying. But pink shirt, Day is a Trojan horse for changing how our kids think and for changing their attitude to who they are 
in reality and how they were made and how they're going to find love and fulfillment in their life. I think there's something very sinister uh, behind there. And I see it with the kids of today that I get to know because they're getting sown in their minds doubt and confusion. And also they are being sexualized way too young, way, way too young. And to say I don't agree with that is an understatement because there's nothing more wonderful than childhood and the innocence of childhood. And you realize that that growing up when you're a child is what makes you as an adult. And that the innocence of childhood is a necessary precursor to being a healthy and successful and well-rounded human being. And I don't like it that children are being robbed of that innocence. And I'm afraid that Pink Shirt Day is another brick in that wall of robbing our kids and the fact that they won't be up front and discuss what's going on is another black mark against the day. Thank you for listening. This has been Real Talk with Rodney Hyde uh, on Reality Check Radio. Please text us 2057 or email us inbox at realitycheck.radio. Thank you for listening. It's been a total honour and a pleasure to be part of your household day thank you you've been listening to real talk with rodney hyde on rcr reality check radio